Esposito from seventh to first in the final event. You are a champion. And Oleksiak has done it! The girl from the six has got six Olympic medals. The substitute for Canada just about gets it through. It's a glory gold for Canada. Kathy Lifty goes up to Graham, takes the lead, looks a winner, draws away from Graham and Mary. This is a famous victory, a magnificent performance. It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for another athlete interview. Very, very excited to return to the great sport of softball. Only our second ever softball athlete on this show. And today we are speaking with Australian Olympian Ellen Roberts, represented the Aussie spirit at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, a pitcher for the Aussie spirit and a great chat here with Ellen learning about her incredible softball career, the ups and downs that comes with being a softball athlete and the Olympics. A lot talked around just that emotional journey that it comes with being a player who wants to play in the Olympics and yet often can't because the IOC can never make their mind up about softball. And just one moment in her life that we'll get to right at the beginning of this interview They really set her on a path for the Olympics. Ellen's a bit of an Olympic geek, kind of like we are on this show. And one experience that she had during the Sydney Olympics set her on this dream and this path to become an Olympian. It's a great story. You're going to get a lot out of this chat. You're going to learn a lot about her amazing career. And you're going to have a lot of fun along the way here too with this. So sit back, relax and listen to our chat with Australian Olympic softball player, Ellen Roberts. It's been a couple of years since we've touched on the great sport of softball and we're about to change that today because I'm very excited to chat to our next guest, Tokyo Olympian for the Aussie Spirit and an amazing story of her journey from an Olympic experience as a child to representing her country on the world stage outside of her Olympic appearance has competed at multiple world championships for a pretty successful professional softball career around the globe. And I'm so excited to learn a little bit more about her journey with the one, the only Ellen Roberts. Ellen, first of all, welcome off the podium. Thank you, Ben. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat to you tonight. I am. I'm excited to chat to you as well, because I always love it when I have an Olympian on this show, who's a bona fide Olympic fan. And that's not to take away from the ones who aren't bona fide Olympic fans, but there's just something a little bit special, I feel, Ellen, about kind of connecting on a different level there. Because I love your story about your Olympic experience that kind of set you on this path. And I, I want to start there because it's a perfect way to start here about Sydney 2000, the opening ceremony. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that experience that set you on this path. So in 2000, I was eight years old and I was at that time playing t-ball, t-ball baseball. And my mum had an office job at a big company and the, her company had tickets to the Olympics, including the opening ceremony. And she won two tickets to go to the Sydney opening ceremony. And she came home and my dad said right away, um, you've got to take my ticket and go with your mum to the Olympic opening ceremony. And I knew a little bit about the Olympics at that time. Like we were learning about it in school and I loved T-ball on a weekend. And um, I went along with her and I just remember the entire night just being amazed by everything that was happening in the 
stadium and watching all the athletes come in and this like huge celebration of sport, all sports from across all the world and just being like in total awe of the whole thing. And um, I remember looking at my mum and saying, mum, I have to be a part of this. And we went home and I told my dad all about it. We had like all the, they gave out these yellow suitcases and like merch stuff that went along with the experience. And I just thought it was all so cool. And I went home to my dad. I was like, dad, I'm, I'm going to the Olympics. I have to be a part of this. I, I want to play T-ball at the Olympic Games. And he said, Ellen T-ball's not in the Olympics, <laughs> but softball is. And I was like, well, it's going to have to be softball then because I have to be there and I want to be a part of it and play softball at on the world's biggest stage. And from that day, um, my my goal and my dream was to play softball at the Olympic Games for Australia. An incredible story. I, I just love hearing sort of those moments that can sort of change you and put you on that that path for that. And to be in that stadium, I mean, what an I, I iconic moment for that. Tell me you kept the suitcase, Ellen. Tell me you've got that still to this day, right? We have both of the suitcases, my mum and mine. I couldn't tell you right now where they are, but I reckon if I went looking for it, it wouldn't take too long to find them. But, yeah, I just – I every now and then, like, a few years at a time, I would, like, go and find it and look at it again. And um, actually when I made the Olympic team and I, I came home at the end of the year, my dad pulled out a photo album from Sydney 2000. It had the Olympic logo from that Olympics on it and, like, just – say here look at this you you've been at the olympics but do you remember this and i flicked through it and it was that whole experience of going to the opening ceremony and with the boxes and everything but it was this like cardboard album with all the printed photos of that experience and it was like super nostalgic but so cool wow wow great great moment for mum there to win those tickets basically for you to, to go there did you experience any other events during sydney did you get to go watch any softball live during those two weeks we didn't go to the softball but i have heard lots about it just over the years who with from people who have been but i i went to the hockey i think it was the the women's hockey I remember going to that and my memory from that was we were up high in the stands watching down and I had taken these binoculars to look at the game. And I remember the people in the stadium cheering Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. And I so badly wanted to cheer it, but I didn't because I was with my parents <laughs> and I sat next to our neighbours at the time. Um, but I remember just thinking like how cool that these people had the guts to cheer this cheer and the whole stadium following along and like that was probably the highlight for me of going to the hockey um and then i think my dad was able i think his friend or something had tickets to a basketball game so he went to a men's basketball game as well but i just remember those days and those memories just being so special and like absolute treasures yeah, it sort of captivated the entire nation, of course. It didn't matter sort of, you know, where you were or, uh, you know, how old you were in Australia. Everybody was sort of captivated. But I, I believe you got to experience the playing field where they at least played softball not too long after that, sort of uh, as you were kind of continuing your journey. So it was about a year afterwards, I believe, you at least got to taste that sort of the, the field at Blacktown there? Yes, it was a year after. So in 2001... I made my first representative team for the under-10 T-ball team uh, for Hornsby at the time, and we played our state championships on that field, um, which I think from Softball New South Wales, 
I think that's a, at that time, especially even now, to have kids who are under 10 to have the opportunity to play on that field, the Sydney Olympic field, the Olympic stadium um, was super special. And because I loved my experience at the Olympics the year before, um, I was like even more excited to be playing my own games uh, in those on those fields and in that stadium. And they do it. They We still play there now, which is amazing. And the amount of memories and the use that it's gotten and a lot of our teams train out there, our national programs train out there, our state and club and rep teams all get opportunities to use those facilities now, which is amazing. And I think there's so many stories and so many amazing players and coaches and just people in general that have come through um, the opportunity of playing out there at the Olympic Stadium, which is so cool. And we still use it today. I want to backtrack a little bit in a moment to your journey about why you even started in the sport. But just while we're on that topic, what was that buzz around the sport at that point? Because coming off the back of Sydney, bronze medal, there was a bronze from Atlanta. Of course, Australia won a medal in every single softball tournament until it got sort of removed 2008 onwards. So was there kind of a real vibe and excitement around this sport at the time? I remember there being a buzz for sure, at least within the softball community. Uh, I don't know on a national level how big softball or and baseball was, but I do remember in the softball community anything to do with the national program or the Olympics or the Olympians, if there was any like chance of being around those people or getting opportunities to play out there or um, I remember at that time they were giving out opportunities for girls to go train alongside the national team players. Like all of that was a huge deal. Well, and even like the national team uh, uniform or shoes and equipment that they got, like that stuff was just uh, so cool. So I think, yeah, there was definitely a buzz and it was held in a really high regard. And I think there is um, parts of that still now, but I do remember especially around those years that anything to do with the national team and the Olympic program was huge. It was a bit of a golden period at that point, wasn't it, of a softball and baseball, of course, because a few years later in, in Athens, both the, the baseball and the softball teams won silver medals, of course, famously. Yeah, we've we've been a very strong contender internationally and um, the players, especially around that era, the, the girls that I looked up to and idolised and just wanted to be like, uh, are stars in our world, in my world. Like they're, they're people that you want to be like and were inspired by and the passion and the skill that they showed on the field and the kindness that they also gave to us off the field. If you ever got an opportunity to cross paths with them was a really cool experience. But, yeah, we, we definitely had a very strong um, community in softball and baseball and I'm very grateful, I hope, we can like continue to pull from that era and learn and grow and and develop our program even further for the future. What was it initially that drew you in to the sport? Obviously, you were in T-ball at the time. Uh, I mean, was it a case of tried it, you handed a whole bunch of sports and it was T-ball that stuck or was there something specific that took you towards T-ball? Um, well, where my parents live and they still live there now, we live across the road from a from an oval and that oval has winter soccer league and summer baseball league. And when I was a kid, 
um, not the house next door, but the next house along was my best friend, my childhood best friend. And we used to hang out every day after school. Um, if her parents were working, she'd come to my house. Or if my parents were working, I'd go to her house from school and we'd just play in the front yard and do different stuff. But her two older brothers played baseball and soccer, I think, for the club across the road, our local club. Um, so Thornley Baseball. So we, of course, wanted to do what the boys did. And I remember that at the front door, they had a big box of sports gear and there was always soccer balls and baseballs and bats and stuff. So we'd always pick something out of the box after school and go play. And um, we ended up, when we were old enough, uh, I think her mom maybe suggested we sign up and play T-ball baseball for the local club. So we did that and um, I enjoyed playing with her in our club team. And it was always like the highlight of our week to go to the field and compete. We got to put on the uniform, which I thought was so fun. Um, and I just really enjoyed it. It was fun and I was good at it. And I enjoyed playing alongside the girls and the boys. And then as we got older, we had to make a decision on whether we were going to stay with baseball or move into the softball part. And I remember that I think at that time the baseball moved from T into like a machine ball. And so you got to bat off the machine and I wanted to do that, which was with the boys because I thought they were better and they threw the ball harder. So I wanted to play alongside them, but she wanted to go play softball where they pitched the ball underarm. And so I just went along with her and um, because I wanted to play with my friends and I really enjoyed it and I was good at it. And then there was an opportunity to play rep T-ball. And I think that was the start of like, and that was around that Olympic 2000 year. And that was the time I really started to get serious and passionate about it. It was something I loved to do because I wanted to play alongside my friends. And then I just found it even more fun to compete and win. And that bell went off in your head for the the Olympic pathway with softball. I know when we had Joey Lyon a couple of years ago, I brought this up with her in regards to female baseball, male softball. Like, Like, why do we still live in a world where you sort of almost got two distinct sports. I would feel that surely we can just have men and women playing baseball or men and women playing softball. Like why do we still need to have two distinctly different things for men and women? Yeah, it's a good question. I've thought the same thing on the international level, like on the Olympic stage, it is softball for women and baseball for men. But in our community back home in Australia, we actually do have a a men's softball league and a women's softball league. And there is also the same for baseball. There's the women's Australian baseball team as well as the men's. And actually our our men's softball in the currently and in the last few years um, is doing very, very well. We won a, a gold medal at the last world championships. Great. Doing very, very well. We have a great program and, um yeah a lot of depth there and are very competitive on the international stage i do wish that in both softball and baseball we could um compete in both and do both on the world like international level in the olympics and those sorts of tournaments but yeah i'm not sure why it's one or the other it's it's just fascinating you think sort of in this day and age where kind of it seems to be that spread now of both genders in all sports and kind of trying to get that all open up that we still have such a distinct level because, I mean, outside of the obvious pitching differences, there's not a whole lot of difference outside the size of the ball, I guess, and the the amount of innings. I mean, am I missing more here that there is a difference between baseball and softball? 
the ball is a different size, the bases and the field are different sizes. Right. And I think the, the speed of the game and then the skill, like the smaller skills with pitching and it being underarm and all of that and then overarm and different styles of swings and all of that, I think that the more you know, the more differences there are. But, yeah, I, I think some players do flip-flop depending on opportunities. I know some girls I played with younger in softball moved over to baseball in later years and um, same with the boys. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not totally sure why that's happened. There needs to be an investigative report into this somewhere, Ellen, about sort of getting to, to the bottom of it. But speaking of pitching, you're, of course, a, a pitcher. I, I think I read somewhere that you chose that because you wanted to have the ball more. Is, is, that, is that true? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly true. So when I came out of T-ball, I loved playing uh, first base in T-ball because – as young kids, every kid hit the ball to the infield. Someone on the infield would pick the ball up and just play first base. So I knew no matter what was going to happen, I was going to get the ball every single time. And I loved that. And I could catch it every time, which <laughs> me being able to be the one to play first base. Um, so then when I moved into mod ball, which is when the kids start to pitch, my dad was like, what position do you want to play in mod ball? And I was like, I don't know what positions are there. And he like went through them. I was like, I don't know what position. I just want to make sure I have the ball every time. And he was like, hey, you're going to be a pitcher. I was like, cool. I was like, does that get the ball every time? He's like, yeah. I was like, okay, then I'm going to be a pitcher. It's kind of like that. I think I was like that in cricket. I, I wanted to be a wicket keeper because I knew I wouldn't be standing out in the field all the time. Like at least, you know, I'd be kind of there. For, for the ball that do, do you remember sort of then that transition when it came to having to pitch a ball rather than just obviously hitting off a tee and sort of learning that technique that is obviously so unique to softball that that form of pitching yeah I remember it vividly because I had played a season of rep t-ball which is competitive um my dad again was like okay well if you're going to be a pitcher we're going to get some lessons like you're going to learn to do it properly at least have an idea of what you need to be doing if you're going to pitch because it is a um, very specific skill. And so uh, we went to our local area and found a pitching coach who happened to be two minutes down the road and I learned to pitch. And that's, I do remember, I, I think I learned to pitch for probably like six months before I actually had to play a game where we pitched or like went into that level, into that grade. Um, and my pitching coach, his name's Bill Holland, and he was my first ever pitching coach at nine years old. And I learned from him all the way through till I turned 18 and wow. left Australia to go to the U.S. for college softball. And he continues to help me and teach me and support me. He's followed me around the world. But, yeah, it was a, that's where I started, and I'm grateful to still have Bill in my life who helps me and – Fantastic. I love hearing that longevity sort of is sort of rare to hear that sort of stuff there because I think from an outside perspective, Ellen, again, I'm not a professional athlete. I've I've never been a softball pitcher, so I'm simply going to base this on watching it on TV. But I can imagine it's very strength based. You've got to have some good upper arm strength in order to be able to pitch that very, very fast. But I'm guessing there's a whole lot more to it than simply being able to throw a ball fast. I mean, what sort of other areas are your key training focuses on when it comes to being a pitcher in softball? I think it, that's the one of the great things about softball and pitching is that you don't have to be a specific type of athlete or a specific type of body type or have a certain strength. 
Um, there are pitchers who are tall and long-limbed, which helps obviously with levers and being able to throw and launch a ball quickly. There's pitchers who are broad and built strong. There's There are pitchers who are shorter and are very fast twitch, fast-moving athletes. And then there are girls who don't necessarily throw the ball hard, but have good finesse or good control or can really spin the ball to make the ball move through the air. So there's all different types of pitches and everybody, especially on the, like at the top level is good, but for a different reason, like everybody has their different strengths. So for me as a pitcher, as, as a young one, I was always, I always threw hard. I was quick, uh, especially back home in Australia. I was, I was one of the quicker pitchers. And then when I went to college in the US, everybody threw hard. So I had to learn something different and something more, uh, something more, I guess, in general, just to be better and to combat the hitters because everybody was seeing fast pitches. So that wasn't going to be enough. So I learned how to move the ball better. I learned how to control my pitches better. And having that like finesse and control and consistency is is key to any top-level pitcher. If you can throw the ball where you want, when you want it, any time, you're going to be successful. Is there a lot of strategy in the sense that you can almost be like a bit of a poker player? Because you don't want a batter to be able to have a tell that they know, oh, she's about to pitch this type of pitch or she's going to pitch it there. I'm guessing there's a lot of being able to control your body language and movements so that a batter can not read what you're about to do next. Totally. You're spot on. So especially at the international level and professionally, like a a lot of our time and off-field work goes into picking different pitches or even like tendencies with pitches, tendency with hitters, tendencies with different fielders. Like you look at how people move or if they're doing something to give away where location is or what the spin's going to be or some sort of like clue to what's about to happen. So as a pitcher, you want to make everything look exactly the same all the time, even though you're making the ball do something totally different. So like we have balls that move up, side to side, down, slow, but I want to make it look like it's going to come out the same every single time, which is an art in itself. It can be challenging when you're trying to throw a ball at say 90 kilometers an hour and then a, a ball at 112 kilometers an hour, you have to make your body look the same or throwing a ball one way and then the other way, but making it look like coming out the same. So hitters will look for like even the smallest movements in your forearm or your eyes or your step or like just how you're positioning your wrist or there's like all types of things. Like people will give away anything. It could be something with their feet or some girls have changed facial expressions. So like, you know, there's you go looking at video and if you watch enough video, you can sort of pick up on tendencies. So it's one of these things too, you have to continually be working at and bettering yourself out to, to improve. I was going to, I mean, I don't want you to give away your secrets, Ellen, for your competitors listening to this, but like, I mean, do you have to, outside of watching videotape, you kind of have to like stare at yourself in the mirror a little bit and kind of like look at, like yeah. it's almost a bit of acting I can also imagine. You could see an acting coach. I might be able to help you out there with that side of things. That's a good idea. I haven't thought of that. Um, I should try that. Uh, well, there are like strategies like to to do it. Looking in the mirror is definitely one, like especially if I'm 
trying something new or I've realized someone's picked something up, I'll go look at it at the mirror or get my teammate to say, does this look the same as if I do this? Or yeah, mirror stuff definitely helps or just like getting someone to watch or getting a hitter to come watch or even sometimes like I'll check what I'm doing first and then see how the ball comes out or yeah, it's fun. It's it's part of it yeah. about getting I can, beating the hitter. I can imagine. A lot of fun. And I can imagine on the flip side too then, a lot of your time outside of that training is I no doubt studying batters and kind of expecting this is generally what type of hit they're going to do or kind of things like that or they're not good at hitting a fastball, you know, things like that. So I'm guessing there's a lot of research on that level where you've got to try and anticipate the movement of a batter as well. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, everybody has a strength and a weakness, so you're looking for that. But then at the top level, it becomes more than that. Like I, as a pitcher, my mind space is I believe that your best hit, I can beat you with that pitch anyway because my best pitch is better than your best hit and or knowing where to put that pitch exactly so that I'm giving you what you want but it's still not enough to where you're going to be successful. And, and yeah, it is cat and mouse, like you said before. It's just mind games or, you know, hitters have weaknesses but the top hitters in the world, they can still hit it for a home run. So you have to be smart. You have to be clever. You have to be on your toes and ready to adapt all the time, whether it's from game to game or hitter to hitter or pitch to pitch. It's all about like just being adaptable and smart and reading the game and trusting what you've practiced and using your strengths. Does that then lead into a bit of sledging, a bit of kind of like, you know, trying to one-up them on that mental side of things? Like does a lot of that gone out (laughs) there on, on, on the field? Maybe every now and then there might be a little bit of it, but not not too much. I'm sure there's a lot like in people's minds or like you can pick up on that. I've got you. Like, I'm going to get you. This is it. Come on. I own you. I've been owning you all game. <laughs> yeah, or like body movements, you know, gives away stuff sometimes. But, you know, I love that. Come on. <laughs> it's got be, I, mean, I can imagine too that playing somewhere like the US where they're, you know, they're very – out there and kind of confident in themselves. And I can imagine like you learn a bit of that through sort of the college system, which maybe we're not so used to here in Australia. That's maybe not the way we kind of are when it comes to things like that. Totally. I I feel like that's one of the best things I've learned about playing in the US, but also playing in other parts of the world is I've picked up little bits of what makes each place or each type of people successful I think as Aussies, like we definitely have our strengths too. But if we could like just take a piece of the what the Americans do well, what the Japanese do well, what the Europeans do well, and like combine it into one, like I think that would be like the the perfect athlete. But yeah, I love like seeing how other people, other countries are successful or what their strength strengths are, and, and learning and trying to take on a little bit of everything myself. Because you've had that unique aspect of playing in Europe, playing in America, you're playing in Japan at the moment where, as you're saying, they've got so many different styles. So does that help someone from somewhere in Australia, like as you were saying, to try and mould that perfect athlete to kind of bring the best of all those corners of the world so that we can take that and dominate the world ourselves? I I think so. Like as an athlete, if you're getting different experiences, I think a smart person would be to try and learn as much as you can in whatever environment you're in so just you know 
watching what other people do to be successful, whether it is the American culture or just your American teammates that are around you. Everyone's different and just picking their brains, asking them questions. Why do you do this? Why are you successful? Or how do you throw this ball? What are you thinking when you're when you're in the box hitting? Like as a pitcher, I want to know. And just sharing ideas and listening to people, I think, even now at 31 years old, like you can never stop learning or finding out new things and playing alongside some of the best athletes in the world is I have the best resources next to me in the dugout. So like, I love that about our game. And just even with my Japanese teammates, I say, why do you do that? Because the Japanese style of softball is quite different to the Aussie or the American style of softball. And I understand why they do certain things or their way of thinking. And it is just so interesting and it betters me as an athlete, but then also I think as a person. That journey to the Olympics must have been a very interesting one because when you're rising through the ranks, you, you're starting to represent New South Wales, you're making the, the junior Australian team, you're obviously going over to University of Memphis to play college. That period, of course, softball was removed from the Olympics. It wasn't part of the Olympics anymore after 2008. Do yeah. you sort of remember, I guess, hearing about that and kind of what does that do when you've got an, like an Olympic dream and all of a sudden the sport that you're committing your life to is no longer at the Olympic Games. Yeah, I I do remember it being taken out for London 2012 when I was in high school and I remember just being devastated um, because playing for the national team in softball as an Australian is the best it gets, but then having that opportunity to play for Australia on the Olympic stage, like that's the biggest part of our sport is the Olympics. Um so I do remember being devastated, but at that time I was representing New South Wales. I may have been, I think I might've been on the junior Aussie squad working my way into that Aussie, the junior Aussie team in 2011. Um, but I hadn't made the national women's team yet. So that was still a goal. So I think I was devastated just in general for our sport, that our sport was not going to be on TV and not going to be on the Olympic level. But I still had the ambition and, and goal to play for the Australian national team. And then also I wanted to go to the US and play college ball. So I still had goals that I wanted to achieve and sort of deep down in the back of my mind, I had probably just been hoping that it would come back. But I do remember thinking like still playing for Australia would be the ultimate goal and ultimate dream and what an achievement i'd be that would be so cool so i, I remember still training for that because it was that very roller coaster period for you then when you made world champs in 2014 didn't make it in 2016 but then we're back for 2018 and in that period softball's announced that it's coming back for the olympics yeah. in 2016 how was that experience because again you've gone from making world champs to not making it it's back on the Olympic program. So was that just all of a sudden like, okay, I've got to get back on this team no matter what now because I've had that taste and here's that Olympic dream. It can possibly come true. Yeah, totally. I remember actually the day I was I was playing professionally in Italy in 2015 and 2016 and I remember the announcement coming out that softball had been included back into the Olympics and I had made the team as a rookie in 2014 and then – the end or midway through 2014, I had finished playing college softball, and that's when I went to Europe to play professionally. And I was 
still on the Aussie squad and it was still my goal to be a part of the Australian national team. And I remember like I was living majority of the year overseas playing softball because I wanted to better myself and learn and get top level as best as I could playing experience all year round. And that's why I was in Europe um, and getting a new life experience while doing it. So missing out in 2016 was devastating. Like I was, it was a goal of mine to make that team and I didn't. I do remember it being a bit of a blessing in disguise. I think our, our national team went to the world champs that year and I think we finished 10th and all around it wasn't a good experience while I was still in Italy playing softball. And I remember thinking maybe this has happened for a reason, but I remember when I missed out being so hungry and I set these new goals for myself and I um, broke down my skills and like relearned certain things that I got told I needed to be better at. And I had the opportunity to do that whilst being in Europe. And so I worked really hard. And then with that announcement of the Olympics coming back, just being like so motivated as I always am motivated, but I just remember thinking, right, like I've got to do this. Like the Olympics are back. The the dream is right there. Like I've been on the national team and now it's only going to get better if I like knuckle down in and get this right. So yeah, the next step was the world in 2018. And I worked really hard to get myself back into that team and I did it which was amazing I was stoked to be a part of that and that year I was then my first year playing professionally in Japan which was another opportunity moving forward it's it's so fascinating when I speak to athletes on this show who who represent a sport that either has been only recently added to the Olympics or kind of was part of that and softball and baseball are just so unique because it's just kind of this teasing thing the olympics like to do with your sports isn't it <laughs> it's sort of like you're an olympic sport no you're not yes you are no you're not like it's just at least no disrespect to somebody from say karate or or rugby or things like that like you know they sort of didn't know any different but this is completely different this is sort of there and thereabouts there and thereabouts and this is obviously in that period where all of a sudden you know something that you thought was not possible is possible and i love hearing that sort of motivation which I kind of ma- I also can imagine though then not only yourself but there's probably a, a 50 to 100 other women who are on that cusp of the national team all of a sudden a dream of this. So how just how competitive did that all of a sudden become in that period towards Tokyo yeah it was competitive the people who were still in the game at that time playing at the top level back home in Australia um obviously like ramped it up a level and everything got really competitive and also not knowing too what Olympic opportunities were coming in the future. Like there was even that added pressure of, okay, the Olympics are back in 2020. We all want to get selected. Plus we don't know if we, if we miss out, can we go to 24, 28, 32? We don't know. So it Still was don't super- know. We'll get to that. <laughs> yeah. And then there was the other thing with like girls who hadn't played at the top level for a few years. You thought they'd finished or moved on. You hadn't heard about them for a while they started coming back and were playing at nationals and you know, the, I'm not, I don't like to talk outside of my lane too much, but you would hear people saying, Oh, so-and-so is coming back. Or did you hear that this person and this person, like, and all these athletes started to come back, which just added more people to, you know, to the options of selection. But um, I enjoyed the competitive aspect of it, but it was hard. Like you had to be focused and, 
you know, there was so many years leading up to the 2020 Olympics and different opportunities. So and it's also yeah, that, that, that weird nature too, isn't it, where basically they cut two teams from 20. Like every softball tournament had eight teams in it and then Tokyo yeah. only had 16. Was there a reason behind that? Do you know? Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to think back. I can't. I can't remember why, but I think it was something to do with the numbers of people, perhaps. So, like, if you take one team of softballers, there's at the Olympics there's 15 players plus staff plus whoever. If you take one team of, say, a boxer, it's one athlete yeah. plus however many, I don't know. But I think it had something to do with that, but I don't actually know. I, I just, that's what I heard. It's Yeah, I know sort of you have... I know, say like in the Winter Olympics, for example, say freestyle skiing, you might have a quota of six athletes that covers five different disciplines. So you've got to try and go like, okay, we'll send three mogul skiers, two aerial skiers, but we won't send a, you know, a big air skier. Like you've kind of got to like balance with the quotas and the numbers at the ISC. Whole other episode there in itself, Ellen. But that that process then that led to ultimately selection because I know the softball team was technically the first team to arrive in Tokyo, but that wasn't the final team, was it? That was just a squad of a certain amount of people that you were then selected from. So before I get to that part, what was that moment like when you were initially selected in that initial squad that was sort of, you're halfway to the Olympics, Ellen, you're kind of, you're nearly there. What was that moment like for you? Uh, It was good. Like we had a squad of 30 players, I think, leading up until that moment of the 23 that were going to Tokyo. So it was sort of for me just like, okay, great. Next step, I'm in the 23 now. But I was so determined and so focused that I knew if I had gotten too outside of myself and thought too much into it all that I was going to get too anxious or nervous or like overthinking. So I sort of just like, tried to stay so focused on each moment and each day as it came and just sort of like put all the outside noise and distractions to the side and just like focus, okay, I'm on the 23. This is how am I going to achieve my goal? I have to do my best today and today I'm going to the gym and going to pitching training. And that's sort of like I just narrowed it down every day to that and any more outside of that I, I didn't want to think about to the point where I was probably unpleasant to be around at times. Um, I'm sure my family can vouch for that. But, like, you know, some girls like to talk about what it would be like to be in the Olympics with the other athletes or what the uniform might look like. And I was, like, not a part of those conversations at all because I knew that it wasn't guaranteed and I just wanted to stay focused on how to get there and that was focusing on the moment. (laughs) Was there an initial squad announced before the postponement or was all of that sort of done a year later? Because obviously, you know what, it was about March, April when Australia had announced that they weren't going to go to the Olympics and then, of course, a month or so later they postponed it for a year. So were you sort of aware in that period that you might be on a cusp and then realise you might not be going? Because Australia at that point were one of only a couple of countries that were, were not going in the Olympics that were going ahead at the time. Yeah, I think now I, it's a little while away and I haven't like thought about it in a while, but I'm pretty sure we had a squad of 20 before like lockdown and all that. So we had a squad of 20 plus three reserves for the squad. So we trained as 20 uh, in twenty early 2020 
after we qualified and then lockdown happened um, and we continued as that squad all the way through. And then once sort of stuff started back up again and we were back in person training together or whatever it was leading to the Olympics and there was leading going to away, then I remember our coach saying, okay, the three girls that have been reserves and trained with us and because we were doing Zooms and like we were active the entire time, that he said like the, the three girls who have been reserves and now when we go away, they're going to be a part of the official squad, which makes them eligible for selection, which was great because those girls had been a part and had contributed just as much as everybody else. So then there was the 23 that were then up for selection going into our journey over in Japan. And then that becomes, is it 15? Is that correct? 15. So we trained for about four weeks in Oda City, which is a, a small city outside of Tokyo. We trained for four weeks as a squad of 23. And the understanding when we got there was we're going to do that for four weeks. Then we're going to select the team of 15 plus three reserves. And so there's 15 going to the Olympics, three reserves, and then five girls that I just not selected at all. So when the team got selected, the five girls who didn't get selected at all flew home the next day. And at that time there was two weeks quarantine. So they flew back home and then were in the hotel. Yeah, which was gut-wrenching, even just thinking about that process being a possibility. And and after the fact, knowing that that's what my teammates and friends had to go do, I I didn't really like that. Ex- I didn't like that experience at all for anybody. Um, but they flew home. And then I think two weeks was up and then just the Olympics had started. So they would be home with their families. But the three girls who stayed on as reserves trained with us for the next two weeks and then when the day we left for the village they left to go home and do the two weeks quarantine so they were in hotel quarantine for the two weeks that we were at the olympic games which are more excruciating just to think about it and i hate that they had through that process um but it was you know unfortunately the world was going through uncomfortable things at the time so you know, everyone had to make sacrifices and that's just how our program decided to do it. So, yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's just such a, I think like, I mean, the world was a a different place, obviously then with Adele and we we all know that, but just the journey that yourself and your teammates went through, because as I said, you've had this (laughs) journey to get back in the Olympics in general as a sport. And then, you know, they were look like the Olympics might not even happen and they're happening. And then it's kind of like through all of this, I mean, that the moment, you're told that you are in that squad. Like, is it almost like a, a powder keg of relief that gets released or is it you take a moment to go, okay, I've got a bigger job at hand now. We're going to try and win ourselves a gold medal. Yeah, that's how it was. Like the day for me that I got selected, it was a huge sense of relief and joy and then being able to celebrate that moment with my teammates. But then we sat in a room for about an hour and waited for everybody to come in and celebrate. And then it was like straight into our job. So we had to get fitted for our uniforms or like all that stuff, technical stuff. And then we had a meeting and then it was like, okay, we're going to the Olympics. Now we must prepare. We have 
two more weeks of practice games and training and all of that. So it was like a part where you could celebrate. And we had, I think, an evening where we had a, a small party and a celebration together in the hotel because we couldn't leave the hotel being in Japan and lockdown sort of things. Um, and then and then we were back into work and there was a bigger goal at hand. Like it wasn't just I want to be an Olympian and go to the Olympics. It was like I want to go to the Olympics, play for Australia, and we all are going because we want to win gold for our country. So there was that was the main goal. And that was our goal as a squad the entire way through was we're going to train as a squad of 23 in the hopes of winning a gold medal at the Olympics. And that was our expectation was a gold medal mentality. And that was sort of harped on throughout the entire time. So everybody knew. And for myself personally, I that was my goal. But it was also really hard at times too because you were thinking, okay, my goal is to win a gold medal at the Olympics and you're preparing to you're preparing your own skills but then also preparing to play against these teams to beat them to win gold but you might not even be on the team. Mm. So it was really hard in that aspect, but it was always the goal was to prepare to win gold. Do you do you allow yourself a moment though, Ellen? Like was there a moment that it was kind of like a, I'm an Olympian, like this is this eight-year-old dream that I had back <laughs> in Stadium Australia in 2000 that all of a sudden, like, I mean, even now sitting there wearing the Olympic rings on your shirt, I mean, does it feel, do you say I'm an Olympian now? Yeah, now I do. It took me quite a while, I think, too, because we didn't know or I didn't know I was going to be Olympian until two weeks before the Olympics. Mm. So I think, like, I had the realisation, but it didn't really sink in totally for me until probably weeks or months after and seeing it all because it all happened so fast and then being there and competing and then being in the village, like, that was amazing. That was probably the first moment where I was like, wow, I'm here, like the our building was all decked out in green and gold. Like our Australian Olympic Committee did an amazing job making our building feel so special, which I think was the the one of the highlights for me. Um, so that was probably the moment where I was like, "Wow, I'm I'm here. I did it." But now too, I every now and then remind myself, like, "Huh, I did it. Like that's pretty cool." And it actually motivates me and inspires me every day to to keep bettering myself and reaching new levels and wanting to be better because I have that extra motivation of I did that so now I can do even more. Fantastic. You went a long way from getting a little yellow suitcase as an eight-year-old to all of a sudden probably like five suitcases with the green and gold uh, clothing. That I mean, I'd be like you. I'd never take it off. I'd be wearing that all the time. And you know what? That little eight-year-old girl would never have taken this shirt off ever or any of it. Probably would have slept in it for for years because I was like, you know, so in awe of that whole experience. I had the posters on my wall probably till I went to college. Like I had all the stuff on the walls since I till I left home. Nothing wrong with that. That makes me happy. How how was it having? Stacy on the team, obviously the only player who had been to the Olympics before, was she able to instill a sense of, uh, I guess, confidence on, on an Olympics? Because obviously an Olympics is much different to other tournaments. Was she able to kind of give a bit of feedback and help on, on that level that comes with representing your country at an Olympics compared to other events? Yes, she did. Stacy's a, a great captain and I really loved playing alongside her with New South Wales and for Australia for the years 
that I did the six or seven years leading into the Olympics. And she's always just a constant for our, for our team and for my teammates. Um, she always gave off a strong presence and led by example. And once we got to that Olympics, she was just her, her normal, true, strong leader self. And I think that really did help guide us. And like she set an example for us all the way through. And so if in any time of doubt or unsure, people just, you could look to her and just see like, yep, she's just doing what she always does. So we can too. And um, she definitely set a good example for us always, but especially at the Olympics. And we just followed her lead and play our game. Like we always play and believe in what we always do. And um, she definitely led us in that way. I don't want to dwell too much on obviously how it all turned out because I can imagine that was very disappointing. But the, the one that I want to touch on though was that Italy game, particularly for you there, Ellen, and sort of closing that out in the style that you did because obviously things hadn't started off too well against Japan. But then to kind of have that tense sort of – I remember watching it like it was it was thrilling to watch that game. I mean, is that up there as one of the highlights of your career or maybe the highlight of your career, closing out a game like that at the Olympic Games? Yeah, it's definitely one of the highlights of my career. Um, that moment was so special and I've had lots of time to think about it and lots of people ask me about that moment. I didn't get to play the first day when we played Japan and it wasn't a good start for us. We lost mercy rule against them, which they're a good team, and but we expected to perform better and to have a better result. And, of course, we wanted to win that game, but we knew going in against Italy that they were going to be tough as well. We've always had good matchups against them internationally. Um, and I playing in the Italian league for two years, I knew a lot of the players and have played against or alongside a lot of those girls. Um, but going into that game, Kaya, the pitcher on our team who started that game, pitched a fantastic game. I think we we're only winning one nil and, um, the bottom of the seventh, the last inning of the game with uh, two out and I think the tying or winning run on first base, runner on second base, um, I was warming up all game and I knew I was the first in relief and I remember just reading the game as I always do and warming up when I needed to and then coming into the dugout and the coach just looking at me and saying, oh, are you ready? And me just saying, yes. But at that point, I was so focused and I had just warmed up like I always do. And so I went into the game with that same mindset. Like I just went in like I always do. And me and Kaya have played alongside each other for a long time. Growing up as kids, as juniors, she was always the older one. And I was a couple of years younger than her. So I always followed her lead and she often started games. And if we ever needed support, I would come in and close and We've had some really good results as that combination throughout our career together. And so coming into that game, it was routine. Kaya started, pitched a great game, and it was my job to come in and shut the door. And so I, I've been in that position before, and that's what I, my mentality was, was just to come in and do what I always do. I had prepared for that sort of moment. And so I was just like so focused and my catcher came out, Taylor, and I had a quick chat with her and she, I can't remember what she said to me, but whatever it was, it was like the goal at hand. And so I just did my routine and 
focused in on that hitter, shut out everything else around me and just pitch the pitches that she called as best as I could. But after the fact and coming out of that game, closing that last out, even though it was just one hitter, it was important to just shut the door and stop the momentum. Um, I do remember just feeling so grateful to have the opportunity, but then also so happy that we, I could have helped our team get our only win at the Olympics and be a part of it was really cool. So I can imagine now there's been a couple of years to reflect on it. And then obviously that came with that disappointment of, you know, ultimately not getting a medal or or obviously the goal that you were aiming for. Is it moments going sort of back to what you're talking about 2016, that initial disappointment of not making that team, it drove you towards going back that you look now at 2021 with the prospect of it coming back for 2028, 2032, that you can use that as not only for yourself, but the the spirit in general as a team, as a driving force of, well, we've got unfinished business now. We, We need to go out and, get that one medal that Australia have never won at an Olympic Games, the gold. Totally. And we have a a new generation coming through now with our uh, group of Aussie Spirit and our national program. We have a a huge training squad. And then we have, um, I think it's like a training squad of 80 players and then new, like so many new girls and some young talent coming through and definitely taking that Olympic fifth place as motivation and it's bigger than just goals for myself I think it's more so goals for our program and for the Aussie spirit we definitely have the potential to be a gold medalist team at the Olympic Games but I think we need to learn why as a group we need to look at why we weren't successful the things we needed to change the things we did do well but the things that we need to do better um, to get a better result. And I think that's part of it is looking at in 2021, what didn't we do to help us get there? And then maybe also drawing from the other years previously, like in 2000, 2004, 2008, what those groups of players did well, what those cl- groups of players could have done better and using all of that experience and knowledge to prepare. And I think with the new group coming through, there's a, there's a new spirit, which is the name of our team, but it's true. That's why we're called that. But there is a new spirit to our team and this this youth and this excitement and this fresh buzz about representing Australia. And we do have some um, inexperience in terms of playing internationally, but we have the heart and the want to want to get better and want to learn. And we definitely showed that even last year we played at the World Games in USA. Yeah, we I was finished- ask about that. We had a, a good performance. Um, we wanted to medal there, but we just missed out. But we did well as a, a new group. And then this year we played at the world's group stage and we qualified ourselves for the world's final stage for next year, which um, only proves that how much we've improved over a year and we accomplished our goal this year. So it's exciting with what the Aussie spirit has. And I think we're definitely motivated by the 2021 result, but then – there's so much more behind it too that I think is exciting for everyone to follow along and see what happens. This might be an odd question because obviously you went to a very unique Olympics. You didn't get to experience packed stadiums and kind of what I guess people in a quote normal Olympics get to experience. But can you compare the World Games to an Olympics on some level? Because at least I guess you experience crowds at a World Games, but they're always kind of seen as the off-Broadway Olympics, right? These are the sports and aren't Olympic sports to give them a chance, but they seem still like a, a fun event. It's a multi-sport event. So can you compare the two? 
Yeah, I think you definitely can compare the two because I didn't understand totally what the World Games was about until I went there. But from my understanding, it's basically the the sports that aren't Olympic sports that want to be Olympic sports were there. So softball was there, but then all these other cool and interesting sports were there like roller skating and some sort of different dancing and I don't know, all these cool sports and cool athletes were there. And we were in the University of Alabama, Birmingham campus. And so it was like an Olympic village and we were in their giant food court or food hall. And that was the eating spot. But because COVID obviously made the Olympic Games so quiet in terms of fan base, the World Games was almost like an Olympic experience, even more so in some ways than the Olympics were because we played at Hoover Stadium which was just outside of Birmingham and um, Alabama and USA being a huge home for softball. Yeah. This act. So when we were at the Olympics, there was no one in the stadium, but at the world games, there was thousands of people. And it was like one of probably the biggest crowds I've ever played in. I played in front of a few big crowds also in Japan, but um like with the national team, I think that was probably the biggest crowd we've ever had since I've been on the program. So I thought for the girls who had been to the Olympics, it was our opportunity to have that Olympic experience with the crowds. And then for the new girls, the new group of girls that have come into our squad to get a taste of what it's like to play on the international stage and in front of a crowd that loves softball as much as we do. Um, but yeah, it what you could definitely compare it to Olympic Games, especially the off-field stuff. Being up in the dorms was sort of like, I guess, being in the village with your own separate rooms and having to walk around the campus to get to the food hall or whatever you needed with all these other athletes around and waiting in line and everybody in there. Um, team uniform was pretty similar to the Olympic Games, which was cool. Which I know you were, again, restricted at the Olympics to what you could do, but is there things like pin trading at the World Games? Do they kind of try and do like little like little aspects like they do at like the Olympics as well? I didn't see too much pin trading at the World Games. I'm sure there might be some if if teams have um, pins to trade, but I think the difference with that is at the Olympic Games, like Team Australia was the Olympic team, mm. and so every every sport had the same gear and the same pins and all that. But we rocked up as Softball Australia and right. then we would see someone else, Australia, be like, oh, what sport are you guys? Oh, you're from Australia too. Cool. And then that was it. So we weren't as a nation there together. We were there just as our individual sport. So I, we didn't have like all the same pins or anything like that. I remember being a very confusing year last year when you had the World Games in Birmingham and the Commonwealth Games in Birmingham, two different parts <laughs> of the world. It was sort of like, what, what's going on there? Now, Ellen, before we close out with some questions, I've got, I've got to, I need to help you out and everybody in softball and baseball for this campaign to get it back in the Olympics. Because at the time of us recording this, we are, I think, a month or so away from the IOC confirming what sports will be in LA in 2028. By the time this is released, we will know that answer. But, I, I, I mean, it's Los Angeles. It's America. It's the baseball is their national pastime. So if you're going to include baseball, surely you're going to include softball. And then four years after that, in Brisbane, Australia, we love softball. We've done so well in it. And we did well in baseball one year at least. So, like, 
what can we do as Olympic fans to help you out? Because I just, I just don't get it. I don't get why the IOC like to tease so badly with baseball and softball. It should be there. I, I mean, there's at least seven sports we can take out and put baseball. Yeah. I'm not going to start a war here, Ellen, but I mean, what can we do to help you out? Come on, it's got to come back. I don't want any sports to be taken out. I wish we could have all the sports there so everybody has the opportunity to reach their Olympic dream. Um, And I do hope that for LA it comes back because it's the same reason that it came back for Tokyo is the Japanese love their softball, baseball, and so do the Americans. So for us softballers and baseballers, we hope that it comes back. It was taken out, I believe, for London and Paris because – um, to build the facilities for softball and baseball because the two sports go together. Yeah. It's going to be so much. And then once the Olympics are gone, the, the facilities aren't going to be utilised. But um, as a community back home in Australia where softball, I feel like, is loved, but it's not a, a huge sport or super well-known or popular, I think we just need to spread the love of softball and, and encourage people to join at the grassroots and, Softball is a game where it's fun and it's inclusive of all types of people, of all types of athletes on any level. And there's lots of opportunities to also volunteer from the sidelines. And it's a fun sport. Like it's not a sport where you have to run around for 90 minutes or there's opportunities to run. There's opportunities to have a break and have a chat with friends. You can be a a good runner. You can throw a ball. You can hit a ball. Like there's so many different skills that softball, baseball offer. I think if we just get more people involved and find a part of the sport that you enjoy, whether it's scoring or umpiring or whatever, just have a go and come try softball. And hopefully that just grows um, the population for softball across Australia and maybe um, for Brisbane 2032 that we have the opportunity to have it included as well, well. Well, I mean, the thing is, you've still got facilities in Sydney. I know it's not in Brisbane, but like, I mean, we see that in soccer that they play games in other cities, right? They kind of spread it out there. So, and we're seeing surfing's on the other side of the world for Paris. So, I'm just saying, I'm like, this, this, what I'm about to say might not date very well by the time this airs if softball hasn't been included in LA. But like, it, it's got to be a lock because, like, I mean, the Dodger Stadium is sitting right there in LA. You've got the Angels down the road in Anaheim. They've got these massive stadiums ready to go. And you can play softball in the same stadium, right? So, like, come on, it's it's ready to go, LA 28. Totally. Like, America definitely has the facilities. There wouldn't be, like you said, much cost, I guess, because it's already there, the stadiums. And I think if it does get included, it's going to boost softball, baseball back home in Australia leading into the Olympics. But then I'm sure the way that the Americans are going to put on a show and yeah. um, display our game on the Olympic stage with all those facilities that they have, I could only hope that it would just like boost numbers and boost involvement even more so. So well, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, I know that softball debuted in Atlanta, but I, I'm pretty sure a driving force behind that getting into the Olympics was because it was in America and we'd seen baseball debut only a few years before in Barcelona. So yeah, like it just everything ticks the box and no disrespect to the other sports. There's some exciting sports on that shortlist for the IOC to potentially get in, but it's just, it's a marriage made in heaven. The like softball, but like it just, it's to me, it's a sport that should be there. Ellen, it should be there. Stop taking it away, IOC. Please give Ellen another chance. <laughs> yeah, give up. give softballers another chance and baseballers an opportunity to reach the Olympic 
Games. And I think the thing I mentioned earlier, for our sport, the Olympic Games is is the biggest event for us ever. Mm. And I know sports have, like tennis has Wimbledon and, you know, other sports have, or golf, I don't know what the biggest golf tournament is, but they have all these huge tournaments with these huge accolades if you win. And for softball and baseball, it's the Olympic Games. That's as big as it gets. So the world championships are a big deal. That's as good as it gets within our sport. But what's better than a world champ is an Olympics, and that's the very top. So if you can give us back that opportunity, I know it would mean the world to thousands and millions maybe across the world to even get get an opportunity to be a part of it or just to be a spectator and ignite that excitement around the softball baseball world. And I don't like to mention a person's age, Ellen, but come Brisbane 2032, you'll be a ripe young age of 40. So, I mean, that's still like, that's that's still kind of like a good age to play softball, right? Well, there are some softballers that are still playing at, at the top level at 40 plus. Easy. Um, so it is possible. And you know what? I'm just going to keep enjoying every day as it comes. And my goal right now is to, be the best version of myself today so if i keep doing that and enjoying what i'm doing and uh, you know i might i might be there at 40 years old yeah, you'll be there the, the motivation point is always andrew hoy he was in his 60s and he won a medal in tokyo he's trying to qualify for paris again next year so the guy just won't <laughs> stop so and he just rides a horse so i mean i'm sure that uh, you know the, it swings around about it's kind of the similar thing there ellen we close out every interview with a set of fun style questions that are based on a questionnaire that Team Canada gave their athletes ahead of Rio and Pyeongchang. Simple, easy, there's no right or wrong answers, but I will say if you are up to it, there is a drawing element. It's completely optional, but if you feel up to it after this interview and you want to send in to us, you have the option. You can draw a picture of yourself and send it in and we can share it on social media. You can draw what you think the coolest Olympic medal would look like. And they asked to draw a picture of a Canadian animal. I mean, you're welcome to, but I would probably say you can draw an Australian animal. So uh, uh, how are your drawing skills? Mm, the Japanese. In Japanese, I would say mama, so-so. <laughs> Not not good, not bad. Well, put, I'll put, I, I don't know, I'm sure you're a very competitive person, Ellen, but I will say no summer athlete has ever taken up that uh, that option to draw. It's only ever been winter athletes who have gone ahead and done it. So you could be the first ever summer Olympian on this show to draw. Maybe I will. Maybe you will. I'll put that pressure out there. Let's start off with the first question. Who to you is the greatest Olympian of all time? Oh, my gosh. The greatest Olympian. I would have to say Kathy Freeman. Great answer. You were there. You saw her light that cauldron. You were right there. I saw her light the cauldron. How inspiring. Yeah, she's the coolest I think and at that time in 2000 like she just inspired our whole nation yeah I think she's the ultimate legend love that answer love it now I I mean you might have sort of answered this but maybe I'm wrong the question is the first Olympics you remember watching now obviously we know you were eight at Sydney but do you remember seeing Olympics before then or was that your first real memory of seeing an Olympics I don't remember anything before. I don't remember Athens. I 
I know, I remember girls talking about the Olympians around softball who had been to Athens, but I don't remember anything around that time of games. I do appreciate, though, that I've got somebody on this show. To me, when you say Sydney being, this doesn't make me feel that old. When somebody says, like, oh, London or Rio was the first Olympics I remember watching, then I'm just like, eh. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> we'll move on from that one. If you could be any superhero, who would it be? Catwoman. Oh, <laughs> yes. No one ever answers Catwoman. Yes, I love yeah. that answer. Yeah, I would be Catwoman for sure. She's kick-ass. More people need yeah. to – I think Halle Berry ruined Catwoman, right? People have forgotten about Catwoman since that movie, but Catwoman's cool. Come on. Yeah, be Catwoman. And she has a sick outfit and she has cat ears. I think that's so cool. So yeah, I agree. More Catwoman answers on this show moving forward. Thank you for that, Ellen. I appreciate that. Uh, your favourite ice cream flavour is? Oh, cookie dough. Oh, good answer. I like it. Yeah. Back from the US and they have the best cookie dough flavoured everything. So cookie dough is on my mind at the moment. I would say cookie dough. I was going to say, did you get into that habit where you just buy cookie dough and just eat cookie dough <laughs> i try not to but i have a couple times mm, but yeah yeah well. it's a tempting place america isn't it for food now this is actually a unique question because this is generally a question they put to non-baseball slash softball players right the question is if you were a baseball player what would your walk-up music be you kind of uh, are in that same vicinity. So do you have a walk-up song when you get up there ready to bat or even pitch? Are you allowed to have a walk-up song as a pitcher? Yes, I do. So this year in Japan, our boss said that our song had to be Japanese. Right. And I don't know that many Japanese songs. And so the one that got passed, um, what's it called? It's called Poppin. Okay. And it's by a Japanese artist called Thelma. And it, it's like American Japanese style and it has both English and Japanese. And it's said something like, everybody here looking at me, something, something, something in Japanese. What you going to be? Because I'm popping. Hey, hey. Ooh. And that's a pop song right now. And I love it. Um, in the US for the summer league that I just came back from, my walk up song currently is Stanky Leg. Huh. Uh, only but a good. And I love that. Love so, <laughs> wow! I just appreciate we got singing today, Ellen. Thank you so much for that. But the, I mean, I think you—I don't know if we asked Joey that question when we had her on the show. So you might be the first who've actually been able to actually ask like a proper walk-up song. So, so I—I I enjoy that. My, in college, because I was the only Aussie in American college, my walk-up song was "Men at Work." Oh, good one. Yeah. Yeah. That was it for my days in college, but. Since then, I'm like, I want to be more than just the Aussie girl on a team. So I've like, you know, got something that more represents me, I guess. I like it. I like it. I really, because they call it J-pop, right? Similar to K-pop, it's called J-pop. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just wanted to make sure that there was obviously, I know there are differences between the pops of the Asian countries, but, uh, you know, I just, uh, I'm not that knowledgeable. Let's just say that. Uh, What is the best nickname you have ever been called? Oh, Mm, a couple of my teammates call me El Bell, but one of my friends call her husband used to always call me E Rob when I'd see him. He'd be like, "What's up, E Rob?" And nice. I like that. Well, that's probably the coolest one. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Uh, in a movie about your life, who would play you? Mm. 
what's the um, I don't know. What's the girl who's on Ten Things I Hate About You? What's uh, that? Julia Stiles. Yeah, I when see I went to I like that. Someone there was this guy that I used to see at the mobile shop, and every time I went in there, he'd be like, "You look like her," and I was like, "Really?" And I never thought about it, but maybe her, nice or maybe that. good call, yeah, with a spoon or someone. I yeah. don't know. Yeah, no, both are very good. I like that. Very good. Uh, growing up, who was your favorite sports team? Uh, the Aussie Spirit. Aussie Spirit. Aussie. Good answer. Yeah. And they still are, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> yeah, still my favorite. I looked up to the Aussie Spirit so much. I had all the posters on my wall. So, yeah, definitely the Aussie Spirit. I do love the fact that basically every sporting team in Australia does have a nickname. And I love sort of hearing from the teams that, you know, obviously people know like the Matildas and the Socceroos and things like that. But when you, you know, get down to all the limited, the the sports like that, that they have that. And the spirit just, such a great name, right? Like it just, it fits the team so well. It does. I think, and I'm going to get the exact facts a little bit wrong, but it was around that, I think, Athens 2000 era, the team was called the Australian Thunder or or something like that. And then the, that group of girls um, wanted to make a new name that represented that group and our program better. Right. So they came up with the spirit. And so, and it was because it was fitting to the type of people and the type of a team culture that the team had. And so we've been the spirit ever since that era, the 96, 2000 era. What is the women's baseball team? Do they have a, do they have a nickname? Do you know? Put you on the spot. I don't know know what, what their nickname is. We can Hmm. find out. I I like putting this out there to kind of, you know, find out. And the ones that we don't, we're, we're trying to, the, the Australian moguls team, very successful, Ellen, and I'm trying to call them the bumper ruse. So I'm hoping that they adopt that eventually. it's got a our, nice ring to it. That's cool. Our Aussie men's softball team are the Steelers. Okay. Steelers. I like that. What's our baseball team called? Do the, the men's baseball team have a name? I don't know. I, I can see the Baseball Australia logo in my head, but I don't know what their team names are. Nah, we'll, we'll, have to- we'll find out. We'll, we'll, get to the, we'll get to the bottom of that eventually. Uh, what is your guilty pleasure snack? Hmm... I do love peanut butter. Oh, yes. Crunchy or smooth? Mm, both. Okay. I feel like like more a meal where smooth is just like a treat. <laughs> it's one of those things where I think like it's kind of like the dog and cat question. Like you can have a preference, but you can like both. I feel like it's it's you shouldn't be have to choose one or the other. Like I'm, I like yeah. cats more than dogs, but I still love dogs. Like I can still like both. So you can like both crunchy and smooth peanut butter, right? Yeah, and there's a time and place for both. Exactly. So I'm happy to to enjoy both. Um, I do love peanut butter. I do like chocolate. Mm. I'm like, I love chocolate. Anything chocolate, chocolate bars. Did you get into that habit in the States of just like you get a piece of apple and dip it in peanut butter? You know, they have peanut butter on everything, right? Did you Did you become one of those people? Yeah, I have become one of those people, especially here in Japan, because it's like the easiest, quickest snack. Peanut butter and apple or banana or mm. banana peanut butter as well. So yum. Do you want do you want to, this might sound disgusting, but don't knock it till you try it. <laughs> Cheese and peanut butter. Cheese and peanut butter. It's huh. actually pretty darn good. Just saying. I have to 
tried it, but I would definitely, I'd be open to it. I wouldn't say no. I'd try it at least once. Yeah. And if you don't like it, you can, you can feel free to complain <laughs> to me, but I'm just telling you now it's, it's a guilty pleasure of mine, just weird combinations and it's, it, okay. it works. I'll let you know. Good. I, I look forward to it. With your drawings, of course. Uh, the most recent TV show that you binge watched was? Oh. Well, I'm currently watching The Block because uh, I love watching anything Aussie while I'm overseas. It just, like, keeps me up to date with back home. Um, is that that retro one where they're, like, going back to the 50s or something at the moment? Is that the current? Right, okay. That one right now. So I love The Block. I watch the project every morning when I eat my breakfast. <laughs> um, but if I'm just like background noise doing something, cleaning my apartment, I watch, watch reruns of Dance Moms. <laughs> <laughs> I like the, the differences there. I kind of like that. I feel we get you on the block. Surely they've got, you know, Scotty Cam, you know, Olympic softball player on the block. That's that's in their, their demographic, isn't it? <laughs> I also, I listen, I just got into podcasts, so, like, we have at all day I might know one that you might want to tune into, Ellen, just so I'll pass one on to you after this, potentially. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. I've been listening to Life Uncut. It's with um, Britt and Laura. They're both from The Bachelor world. I enjoy The Bachelor and Bachelorette. I like all um, reality TV, basically, but I've been super into life on cut. So I like binge listening to that at the moment too, while I'm at practice or going for a run or working out, I listen to that. They're, they're great. They are great to kind of pass that time because like, while it's great to listen to music while you're doing things, like there's just something about podcasts because if you get invested into it, right, like things seem to go by quicker. At least I hope when people are listening to this show, that's what they're doing. I don't know, but. Uh, totally. I can try. And I feel educated whilst I'm like being productive yeah. as much, well, Educated on the topics that Life Uncut talks about, which Start is your own podcast. Is there, are there many softball podcasts out there? Oh, I don't know of any. Well, there, well, there's a market. You just cracked it. <laughs> there you go. That's that the weekly podcast with Ellen. Simple. Done. This week in softball. There you go. <laughs> yeah, good. I got plenty of things to talk about all day practice. <laughs> hey, there you go. Easy. You're welcome for that future career there. Uh, your favorite place in the world to compete is. Uh, the stadium in Sydney, the Blacktown Olympic Park, Blacktown International Sports Park now. Great. Yeah. I like that hometown answer. Uh, not sure if you're much of a video gamer, but uh, do you have a favourite video game? Yes. I grew up with Nintendo 64 and I now have a Nintendo Switch and I go through phases where I play it all the time in every spare minute and then I have phases where I don't play it at all. But I have a lot of games and... I love, I've always loved anything Mario, so Super Mario, um, all that Mario Kart, Super Mario Brothers, Super Smash Brothers. All the Marios. All Who's your character in Mario Kart? Who? What's your go-to character? Bowser. Oh, mm. Bowser. There you go. Okay. Because, like, into people and they fly off where, like, the lighter the lighter drivers will like bounce off Bowser. Strategic. I like it. I like it. Is, is it, is it Japan where this uh, super Mario brothers world and like, you can do like real life uh, Mario Kart as well. Am I thinking of the right place? Have you, and if so, have you tried it? Yes. So in Tokyo, they have a thing where you can drive around the streets in like go-karts basically dressed up as characters. I haven't done that, but I have been in Tokyo on the streets and seen them drive by, wow. which is pretty um, and then I also went to Universal, which is in Osaka, and that's where they have the Super Mario or Mario World. Right. 
and I did that. So I went, I went on the Mario Kart ride, um, and then like it's a super interactive area. So I did that. Um, but yeah, I've always liked games, but. More recently, I got into Zelda Breath of the Wild. Right. I was going to ask you with the 64, yeah. were you an Ocarina of Time player? Did you get it? I mean, everybody who had a 64 was either playing Goldnail Zelda, right? That's what I feel like with the two go-to games. Well, I never played those types of games when I was a kid. I don't know. I probably wasn't interested, but I also probably wasn't allowed. Like, I was a <laughs> Like the fighting and all that, there was no way I was. I guess if you're eight for Sydney two thousand, you're probably about six for Golden Eye. So it's probably a little bit too young to be a first person shooting at that age, right? (laughs) But yeah, but since now I had the Switch, I remember how like all the Mario games. I went into the shop. I think JB Hi-Fi one day. I was like, I want a really good game that's going to last me forever. That's going to be super interesting. What do you suggest? And the guy was like, have you ever played Zelda? I was like, no, like, it's not really my cup of tea. He's like, well, it's over whatever it was, 300 hours of playing time or something. And I was like, fine, I'll try it. And then I got, like, super into it. And, like, <laughs> I would talk about it every day to my teammates. And they're like, what are you talking about? There's another like- podcast, the Zelda podcast. There you go. <laughs> you can talk about playing it. 300 hours worth of content. I mean, come on. It's so good. Like it has everything you could ever want in gaming, like all the different aspects. And <laughs> I finished it, but now they've come out with the new one, Tears of the Kingdom, which is the same like world, but it has all these new things and I haven't oh. got it yet. I don't have time to get involved. I've untapped I will- something here, Ellen. I think we can have another five hours to like, we've got, we've got really into the meat and bones of your interest here. Bugger softball. <laughs> it's getting to Zelda, right? Come on the block. It's so fun. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Um, Let's go from biggest video, your favorite video game to a deep question in. What is your biggest fear? Mm, dying. Dying. That's. I mean, it's yeah. one I think everyone's got. I think you just, some people admit it, some people don't. So. Well, I just love life so much that I want to live till at least a hundred years old. And so I, I don't like, it's not a fear that I like think about all the time, but I just love life and I want to be alive for as long as I can and enjoy oh, life. The 10 Olympics in that period. You've still got a good 70 years to go. 10 Olympic, easy, done. You know, that's <laughs> playing to the, I do love here the, the questionnaire that I'm basing this off, a Canadian rugby player by the name of Sarah Kaljuvi and her biggest fear is missing a meal. She doesn't like to miss food. So fair, fair, fair enough. I, that's pretty scary. I'm that one. Last one for you here today, Ellen. What is one thing that you cannot live without? Mm, I cannot live without my cat. Oh, you had <laughs> yeah. me a cat. Tell me about your cat. Come on, now you're just getting me more excited. His name's Murphy. He doesn't live with me here in Japan. He's at my parents' house in Australia. But just even, like, he's my cat, so knowing he's there is enough, like, I still feel like I have him in my life, even though I'm without him. But yeah, I've never lived a day in my life without having a cat in my world. So Aww. yeah, I have Murphy. He's five years old this year and he's the boss of everything and everyone, the whole street. And he's just the best. You just make me want to push for softball even more at the Olympics now, Ellen, because it's just, I just, <laughs> I want to do it for Murphy. Do it for every people. Listen, the ISC, do it for Murphy. <laughs> all right. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I don't even know if he 
he would take any interest but me. <laughs> Who cares? Do it for Murphy anyway, right? That's that's the motivation to get softball. You know, their own person, so. But that's what know. makes them amazing, right? Because one minute they're the most loving creatures, the next they're just a dick and they don't care. Kind of like people, right? See? Yeah. Like, do- do- again, dogs are great. Don't get me wrong. I don't dislike dogs, but dogs are like, they're needy. They always want attention. They're all so happy. Like, they get any the dogs are the athletics of animals. Like everybody watches the Olympics, they watch athletics. It's standard, it's there. Cats are like the softball. It's like it's entertaining. It's not for everyone, and maybe they don't get all the attention they deserve, but when they do, they're the best. There. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I have to agree. <laughs> exactly. I, I know the IOC will listen to this eventually, maybe. And um hopefully they've made their decision by then. Ellen, before we let you go. If people want to follow your journey, stay up to date with what you're up to, hopefully see pictures of Murphy. I mean, social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, anything along those lines that people can check you out on? Yes, I have Instagram at lroberts9. I'm on Twitter at Aussie underscore nine and Facebook lroberts. Beautiful. Stay up to date with that. Ellen, it's been so much fun to learn about your journey and everything along the way. Uh, Please pass on my love to Murphy. He's my uh, new favourite thing to have learned about in this interview. But best of luck with everything moving forward. And I sincerely hope that we can be chatting to you again in the future as a two-time Olympian when softball returns to the Olympics in five years and and nine years and all the other Olympics that it's going to come back on because it's a permanent fixture. Come on. Thank you, Ben. I hope so too. And and thank you for sharing my story and sharing the love of softball a little bit more with the world. So thank you for having me. And a massive, massive thanks to Ellen for her time there. Such an insightful, honest, open chat learning about her journey. And I love the intricacies there around softball pitching and just pitching in general. It's always a a great insight into the mind of an athlete when you can learn a little bit more about just exactly what it can take to do exactly what they do to make an Olympics. And I really thought Ellen gave a great insight into that. The acting that comes with pitching in softball, which uh, obviously is a lot of fun to to learn on that side of things as well. And uh, yeah, I look forward to seeing Ellen at local drama classes. That'll be fun as well. And Murphy as well. Ellen sent me a picture of Murphy. Gorgeous cat. I am uh, very, very jealous of Murphy. So uh, I, I say, Ellen, if, you, if you're listening to this part of the episode, more pictures of Murphy. Post them on your Instagram. I think he deserves to be shown off to the world. But a big thanks to Ellen for her time on the show today. And we obviously are hoping, I will say at the time of recording this, do not know if the ISE has added softball. This is obviously, as you heard me say in the interview, probably going to date this episode because by the time this airs, the decision would have been made. So I'm saying right now, yay, softball's back at the Olympics in 2028, or boo, IOC, it's not, bring it back for Brisbane. So again, uh, dating this episode a little bit by uh, having this little bit at the end with this addition to it, but we'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed by the time people are listening to this, softball has been included for the 2028 Olympic Games. In the meantime, we have plenty of exciting stuff coming your way, more interviews, more great episodes coming up to close out the year. And it's it's hard to think that we are only weeks away from the end of the year. Can you believe it? In about a, a few weeks, a month, you can say that we're in an Olympic year because we are only weeks away from 2024, which is so exciting to think about that, that we're back to an Olympic year. And it's technically a double Olympic year because we do have a youth Olympics 
to look forward to next year, a Winter Youth Olympics in Gangwon in Korea. And we're going to be covering the Youth Olympics. Obviously, you heard us talk a little bit about that during the Pan Ams a couple of weeks back. But we will be doing coverage of our very first Youth Olympics. So that'll be over a couple of week period. That's, of course, in the uh, end parts of January and the early parts of February. So I'm very much looking forward to covering a Youth Olympics as well. Because I think the, the beauty of a Youth Olympics is that you've got a lot of experimental things that happen. So generally, this is the IOC going, hey, would this work in Olympics? Would this work in Olympics? We've seen that famously with mixed events that they've had at the Youth Olympics. Sports like breaking have been introduced now into the Olympics because of a break Olympics appearance. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing how this all plays out. And uh, it's, it's, it's fun. I don't know if anybody really here has uh, paid a whole lot of attention to Youth Olympics over the years, but I often do enjoy watching them and really getting exciting for them. And also you do get to see up-and-coming athletes who are going to be the next big things when it comes to Olympics. So we will be covering that a little bit along the way. So uh, get excited for that coming up as we continue our Olympic coverage and everything here on Off the Podium too, a few more weeks of the year to go. So uh, get pumped and excited for that as always remember to like subscribe to all the regular things that you do at this point of the episode if you want to see the video version of our chat with ellen of course youtube is a place to find that you can subscribe to us while you're on there all where podcasts are found apple podcasts spotify you name it we're on those tiktok instagram facebook threads we're all on those stay up to date with us and we always appreciate your support and your messages and any ideas anything along the way Big, big year for us in 2024, so get excited for that. We've got so much so much fun. I had to pause there to kind of reflect on what we've got to bring you next year in Olympic year, so uh, get pumped and excited for everything that is going to come your way in the coming weeks, months, and year. Big year to be an Olympic fan. Big thanks again to Ellen as well, and I also want to send a shout-out too to Brandon over at Brandon Sports Talk who hooked us up with Ellen for this chat. I was talking a little bit of Ellen off there that she has sort of been on our radar in terms of somebody who we wanted to contact. But Brandon, who I did an interview with him on his show a couple of months ago, does a great show where he speaks to a variety of athletes, including Olympians. And he suggested reaching out to Ellen. He had interviewed Ellen on his show and connected us. And here we are. So uh, big thanks again, Brandon, for you for hooking us up on this chat too. Uh, as always, remember this part of the episode, put a sock in the mountain, uh, razzle-dazzle. Shout out to Jason Momoa and the Birmingham Bulls. And remember to always go left. <laughs>